You're listening to Amazing Discoveries Audio. This is For Such a Time as This, Episode 8, with Daniel Pell. Welcome to our presentation entitled A New Exodus. I'm excited about this study that we're going to have together. But before we open God's Word, we would like to have a word of prayer, and I invite you to join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can come together. Thank you so much that we can open your Word again for a new journey. Father, I pray that you will guide us in this journey. I pray that you will pour out your Holy Spirit to be our guide, to be our teacher, to inspire us and to motivate us and to guide us into your path. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In 1988, a scientist by the name of Stephen Hawking published a book entitled A Brief History of Time. Maybe some of you have heard about that book. It became a bestseller and has sold more than 10 million copies worldwide. Stephen Hawking was born in 1942. He was an English physicist and cosmologist, and he was severely disabled by a motor neuron disease But despite of that, his scientific books and public appearances have made him to an academic celebrity. Uh, In his book, um, A Brief History of Time, Stephen Hawking sets out to describe the history of the universe and the history of time. The subtitle of the book is From Big Bang to Black Holes. And he brings us back and he argues for this massive explosion in the beginning of time, the Big Bang, and how everything started from there. He makes it clear that there is really no transcendent meaning of life. There's no moral meaning, no ultimate meaning of life. But according to Stephen Hawking, we do have a destiny. And that destiny that is that eventually the universe is going to burn out. It is going to cease to exist. As a matter of fact, when you read the book, you're really left at the end of the book without any transcendent meaning to life. His book is entitled, as I, as I said earlier, A Brief History of Time. What I want to do tonight in a Bible study, I want to look at a brief history, not of time, but a brief history of God. I would like to look at a story in the Bible that shows how much value man has in the eyes of God. We could look at all the, the arguments of uh, Stephen Hawking, but instead of looking at his arguments... Um, regarding a brief history of time, we want to go to God's Word and look at what God's Word teaches about the brief history of time revealed in the Scriptures. We have here in our possession a story, a story from Genesis to Revelation that covers thousands of years, and it shows a story about the value that God has placed on mankind. Reading this book leaves us with answers. Reading this book gives us hope and perspective for the future. Reading this book gives us a true history, a brief history of time, and it gives us a brief history of God and who God is and what God wants to do in our very lives. And the story that I want to use tonight in this presentation, in this Bible study, to illustrate this story of God's love and the meaning of life is the story of Exodus. 
Exodus is the second book in the Bible, and it is a fabulous, incredible, marvelous revelation of the love of God and His plan that He had for the Hebrews of old, but also His plan for you and I today. I titled this presentation, A New Exodus, because I believe that the story of Exodus is being repeated in a worldwide scale today. Just like the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt and they were led out and set free, so I believe that there are many today that are enslaved in sin, waiting to be set free by Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to do, we're going to look at the story of Exodus. We're going to look at a big picture of the story of Exodus, kind of taking, a, again, a bird's perspective through this book and picking up here and there um, significant uh, parts of the story that I believe will minister to our souls. And we're going to draw parallels from this story to our very time today. And so let's get straight into it. The book of Exodus, the story of Exodus. If you turn with me in your Bibles to the second book in the Bible, the story of Exodus, the book of Exodus, and chapter 3. I think many of us are familiar with the general outline of the story. Uh, actually, the title of the book, the name Exodus, it means the way out. We think of the word exit, the way out. Uh, just for some months ago, I was uh, in New Zealand, and uh, in New Zealand, uh, it was a time in which we were having quite a, quite a number of earthquakes, um, and um, you're always very, very aware of where the exit is at such times. And so I remember just, you know, entering into buildings and always taking a look like where the exit is. The exit is that way out. It is a way out when there something uh, happens and we need to leave very quickly. And, you know, with an earthquake, you have to get out the building as fast as possible. Thinking about the story of Exodus, the people of God were in a situation in which they needed to find a way out, but they couldn't find a way out. They were enslaved and oppressed by a nation that hated the very things that they loved and that worked uh, against them and enslaved them. And so they cry out to God. Their cry is heard by God and God delivers them through the character Moses. Moses, the, the name Moses means drawn out. You'll remember the story how um, his mother put him in that basket uh, on the water and how the princess of Egypt found him and drew him out of the water. His name Moses means drawn out and he became the one that led the people out, Exodus. The story is incredible. The story is amazing. And we're going to pick it up right here in Exodus chapter 3. And if you would like to turn there together with me, let's look at verse 7. The cry of the people as they are in oppression is heard by God. And we read in Genesis, sorry, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7, it says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Now these words are spoken to Moses. You will remember that Moses grew up in Egypt. Moses grew up in the court of the Pharaoh. Moses was um, an, uh, the prince of Egypt. There was a, an incredible future before him. And yet he identified himself not only with the Egyptians, but particularly with his, 
fellow Hebrew uh, slaves. And so as he would see them oppressed, there was something going on in his heart that was crying out for justice. And you might remember the story as you read in there in in the book of Exodus that it came to the point of time that Moses looked and he saw uh, the oppression and it became more and more severe. And on one day, on one occasion, he saw an Egyptian taskmaster beating a Hebrew slave and he intervened. He intervened in his own strength. He intervened with his might, and he actually slayed the Egyptian taskmaster. He fled for his life. He fled out out of Egypt and into the wilderness. And the second 40 years of his life, he spent as a shepherd in the wilderness. You can actually look at the life of Moses, and you can divide it into three parts. Moses died at the age of 120 years old, and so we have three segments of 40 years. The first 40 years he spent in Egypt as the prince of Egypt. The second 40 years he spent in the wilderness as a shepherd. And you can just think about what a contrast that must have been. And then the last 40 years, or the third segment of his life, he also spent in the wilderness, but not taking care of sheep, but taking care of the Hebrews, the Israelites. And you could also ask the question, well, which part of his life was the easiest and which one was the hardest? It seems to me that it's getting harder. I think that the last 40 years were truly uh, a great um, challenge for Moses to lead God's people into the wilderness, particularly when you read in the story that that they were not the most easy people to deal with. And yet God chose Moses as that leader, as that man that would redeem his people, that would bring them out of bondage and into um, the wilderness. And then ultimately through Joshua, which was the follower of Moses, into the promised land. And so we have these three segments of 40 years. And each time we have a transition that is also of great significance. When you look at the first 40 years that Moses spent as prince of Egypt, when it came to the point of time that um, he believed that he was the deliverer for the Hebrews, he intervened in his own strength and he slew the Egyptian taskmaster and fled into the wilderness. He acted in his own strength and it didn't really work out as he had planned. Well, after 40 years in the wilderness, at the age of 80, Moses is there leading the sheep through the wilderness, and God appears to him in a fiery bush. You remember the story right here in Exodus chapter 3, where, uh, in, uh, as we just read. This is the encounter of God in the fiery bush with Moses, and Moses is now receiving the command of God, the command of the Lord, to go back to Egypt and to be the deliverer of the people. The Lord says, I have heard the cry of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry, and so I send you Moses, I send you back. Now, this time Moses is not so sure if he is to be the one for this task. As a matter of fact, he he speaks to the Lord and he says, I cannot speak, I cannot cannot do it. it, this is nothing for me. And the Lord says to Moses, what is in your hand? And Moses says, well, he has a staff in his hand. And the Lord says, throw down the staff. And he throws down the staff, and the staff becomes a, ser- a serpent. He picks it up again, and it becomes the staff. And then he puts his hand um, under his coat, and it becomes lepre- and he has leprosy. And then he puts it back again, and it's healed again. These are the miracles that God is going to perform through Moses to convince 
the, to convince the Egyptians that he is truly sent from God. God assures Moses that he's going to be with him. Now, we know that, that, that when Moses comes to Egypt, there is quite a, a lot uh, of miracles that God performs before Pharaoh ultimately lets the people go. And we're going to look at that in just a bit. But God assures Moses right there at the fiery bush that he is going to be with him throughout this story, throughout this event. And so Moses eventually manages to get enough courage together, knowing that he's not alone in this, but that God is going to guide him, and he decides to go to Egypt. And so let us continue the story here as we turn to chapter 5, Exodus chapter 5, as Moses comes before Pharaoh. He is now stepping into the very presence of the mightiest the mightiest king probably living at that time on planet earth. And here he stands before this mighty Pharaoh. And in chapter 5, verse 1, take notice of the words of Moses to Pharaoh. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. Take notice of the words of Pharaoh. Pharaoh denies the very existence of God, and he meets Moses with defiance. Not only does Pharaoh deny the request, but we, as we continue to read in chapter 5, it tells us about how he increases the workload upon the Hebrew slaves. Take notice of verse 4 to verse 8 in the same chapter. Exodus chapter 5, verse 4 to verse 8. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the, taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, you shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. Verse 8, and you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, let us go and sacrifice to our God. So Moses is coming with a message. And his message is not only rejected, but beyond that, Pharaoh says, you're keeping the people from work. And he increases the load of work. Think about this, the people in Egypt, the Hebrews in Egypt, the slaves in Egypt are worth the amount of bricks that they produce for the Egyptians. This is, all, this is their entire worth. Their value is determined by the amount of bricks that they produce for an empire that denies the very things in which they believe. Their value is determined by the amount of bricks they produce by an empire that hates the things that they love, that is working against the very God that they belong to. My friends, the, the, the scenario here is absolutely amazing. And yet we think many times that there are no parallels to our time. We think, well, we are not slaves. We're not in Egypt. Um, we are free individuals. And yet I want you to think about the scenario here because I think there are more parallels than we might want to, that we might see at the first glance. Just consider that, just consider and ask yourself the basic question, what am I using my time and strength to produce in life? 
What are my skills? Where am I using my skills? What are the things that I am involved in? And what am I producing? Because the Egyptians oppressed the Hebrews and the Hebrews had no choice but to produce for the Egyptians, to build up the kingdom of the Egyptians, to build up the empire of the Egyptians. The, the Hebrews were enslaved and they would work and work and work and work. And there, as they worked and worked and worked and worked, they would see temples rising. They would see pyramids rising. They would see these structures rising of the, of the, of the um, Egyptian empire empire and they would stand in the shadow of those structures knowing that they had built them but also knowing they had, that the Egyptians their ideology and their beliefs were contrary to everything they believed in themselves could it be today that we as God's people find ourselves working and working and working, building and building and building, using our time, spending our time and talents and energy and money in building up a kingdom that really hates the things we love, building up a kingdom that really stands against the things that we love, that denies the things that we believe in? Could it be that today there are people that maybe not knowingly are actually slaves to society are actually slaves just like the Hebrews were slaves under the Egyptians. I believe that there are parallels here that, that are, are just speaking to us as we read this story. The value of the Hebrews was determined by the amount of bricks they produced for an empire that hated the things that they loved. Could it be today that your value is determined by the energy and time that you spend into your job, your career, whatever it may be, ultimately building up an empire that belongs to this world and does not love the things that you love and does not believe the things that you believe? We need to seriously look at the story and ask ourselves these evaluative questions if it could be that we could also find ourselves to some degree enslaved by this world. But my friends, there is good news. And that good news is that the story of Exodus is a story of salvation. The story of Exodus is a story of how God sets his children free. The story of Exodus is the story of the lamb that was slain for the sins of the people so that they could be set free and they could worship God in spirit and freedom. I want to continue in this story as we look at more parallels here between the time of uh, the Hebrews in the land of Egypt and the days in which we are living today. As you know, it came to the point that Pharaoh hardened his heart that God started working miracles in Egypt through his servant Moses. And plagues came upon the land. As a matter of fact, there were 10 plagues poured upon Egypt. The first plague did not result in the deliverance. The second did not result in the ultimate exiting out of Egypt. Neither did the third or the fourth or the fifth or the sixth. It was only at the 10th plague, when the 10th plague was poured out, that ultimately God's people 
left Egypt. Now, when the 10th plague took place, and some of you will remember what happened under the 10th plague, the angel of destruction passed through the land of Egypt and, and he slew every firstborn of the Egyptians. But there was another event that coincided with the 10th plague that is of great significance in the Exodus story and that just brings out incredible parallels to our very day and age as well. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12 as we continue in this incredible story, a new Exodus. We're looking at the Exodus of the past, but we're drawing parallels to the new Exodus that you and I are invited to experience. And in Exodus chapter 12, we come to the time just prior to the final leaving of Egypt, to the final uh, deliverance of oppression. And we read about the Passover feast that was instituted at that time. And I want to read this together with you. If you turn to Exodus chapter 12, we're going to begin right there in verse 1. Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. So they were to select a lamb, and God was going to teach them something marvelous, something incredible through this special feast, the feast of the Passover that was instituted right here in Egypt. We continue to read in verse 3, it says, or verse 4, it says, And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh on the night Roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled uh, at all with, with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its ent entrails. You shall, not, you shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains it until morning you shall burn with fire. Verse 11, and thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, in your hand, your staff, you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And then finally, verse 12 says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. So there are very clear instructions when it comes to what they had to do on that Passover day, on that pass with that Passover feast. They were to select the lamb, according to the text, on the 10th day. And that lamb had to be without blemish. That means it had to be a perfect lamb, not a crippled lamb, not a sick lamb, a perfect lamb. And it was to be selected on the 10th day. And then they were to wait a couple of days. And during those days, you could pass through the camp of the Israelites and you would see those selected lambs that were bound to the doorposts of the houses, and you would see the perfect lamb. You could see if it was without blemish or with blemish. It had to be without 
blemish. It had to be perfect. It was there ready to be, uh, to be slain and eaten on the 14th day. And then the 14th day came and at twilight they would, they would sacrifice the lamb and they would take the blood and they would put the blood on the doorposts of the house, of their houses. Now remember, it is called the Passover feast. And the word Passover can be divided into two words, to pass over. So when the angel of destruction moved through the land of Egypt, he would come to the house and if the house had the blood on the doorpost, he would pass over that house. It's the feast of Passover over. Those that put their faith in the Passover lamb were those that were delivered out of Egypt. They were the ones that did not experience the destruction that the angel brought in the land of Egypt. Now, the parallels are absolutely fascinating. When we fast forward the story, and we come all the way to the days of Jesus, when Jesus walked on this earth, Jesus ministered, as we know, three and a half years from his baptism to his crucifixion. On the, tenth, on, the, on the ninth day of the first month, just prior to the Passover feast, Jesus rode triumphantly in to Jerusalem. You might remember the story. They were shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna, the son of David. And he rode into Jerusalem on the ninth day of the first month. And from the 10th day till the 14th day, he showed himself publicly in Jerusalem. He taught in the temple. He was the lamb without blemish. He showed himself publicly, he taught publicly, and then what happened on the 14th day? On the 14th day, on that Passover day, they took Jesus and they crucified him. They put him to death. He died at twilight. He died as the Passover lamb. He died as the very one that came to deliver. Just as the lamb in Egypt brought deliverance, so Jesus, the Lamb, brings deliverance. He brings a new exodus. The exodus story is repeated from the cross. Through the cross, we are set free. Through the cross, destruction will not hit us. Through the cross, we can exit out of slavery and oppression and into the saving arms of our Heavenly Father. It's a brief history of the story of God and the value that he places upon man. And so uh, as they slew the lamb on the 14th day of the story of Exodus, they put the blood on the doorposts and the destructive angel passed over their homes. Great destruction took place in the land of Egypt that night. And the very next day, they exited out of Egypt. And as we know, they came to the Red Sea and the Red Sea was opened up before them through the mighty works of God. They passed through the Red Sea and they moved into the wilderness. The story continues in the wilderness as they come eventually to the Mount of Sinai where they receive the commandments of God. And I want to bring you to that part of the story here as you turn to Exodus chapter 20. It's incredible to see God's works with his people and how this very story is repeating itself in our lives as we put our trust in the Passover lamb. We can be set free from the enslavement of sin and we can be brought to the presence of God and God reveals his commandments to us. 
at Mount Sinai, when the commandments were given to God's people, I want you to take notice how the commandments begin. Many times as we read Exodus chapter 20, which is, of course, the chapter that deals with the commandments of God, we skip verse 1 and 2 and we start right away in verse 3 with the first commandment that says, you shall have no other gods before me. But I want you to take notice which words were added just prior to the Ten Commandments that were given. We pick it up in Exodus chapter 20 right there in verse 1 and take notice what the Bible says. Exodus chapter 20 beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And then it says, You shall have no other gods before me. God makes it very clear to his people. He reminds them that he is the one that has brought them out of the land of Egypt. He reminds them that he is the one that has set them free from bondage. Now, if we ask ourselves the question, how did he set them free from bondage? How is it that God brought them out of the land of Egypt? Well, he poured upon Egypt the plagues, but it was not until the 10th plague that the final deliverance took place, and there was something that coincided that event, and that was that they selected the lamb on the 10th day and slew that lamb on the 14th day, and it was because of that blood of that lamb that ultimately they could leave Egypt. My friends, if we take this serious here in Exodus chapter 20, what we are seeing here emerge from the text is the sacrifice of the lamb. It was through the sacrifice of the lamb that deliverance was made possible. And it's also through the sacrifice of the lamb that the commandments are made possible for us to keep. We cannot keep the commandments in our own strength. We cannot have no other gods and, 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 and keep the Sabbath holy and not kill and not commit adultery and not lie. All the Ten Commandments are rooted and grounded upon the firm foundation of the slain lamb. The foundation of the blood of the lamb without blemish. And that is none other than Jesus Christ. And so the commandments do not begin immediately with the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. But the words that are added are the words in verse 2, which, are really the, which lay the foundation for every single commandment. God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And many times we skip that verse because we think to ourselves, well, we didn't live in Egypt. Uh, we were not enslaved in Egypt. And so we just, you know, we just have the commandments, but we didn't have the experience of enslavement. If we think very carefully and we make the parallels to our days today, my friends, we are just as much slaves in Egypt. And it's not until we have accepted the blood of the Lamb that we can truly escape that oppression of sin and enter into the loving arms of God where we are reminded that it's the Lamb that has set us free. And it's because the Lamb that has set us free, it is because of His blood, it is because of His sacrifice that we will have no other gods before Him. It is because of his sacrifice that we will not make carved images or any likeness of anything and not bow down to them. It is because of the blood of the lamb. It is because of the deliverance 
through Jesus Christ that we will not take the name of the Lord in vain. It's because of the blood of the Lamb and the deliverance of Jesus Christ that we will keep the Sabbath holy. And so on, each and every single commandment in the Ten Commandments are built upon the firm foundation of a slain Lamb upon the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and His power to deliver us from sin. My friends, we have all found ourselves in Egypt. Maybe some of us are still in Egypt. We are in the slavery, we are under oppression in the slavery of sin, and yet by coming to Jesus and by accepting the Lamb without blemish, we can be set free so that we can be brought closer and closer to God and eventually into the promised land. Now the story continues here, and I want to look a little bit closer at one of the commandments here. We, the, the, the fourth commandment, the Sabbath commandment, also in a very special way, reveals the power of redemption and the power of God's work in our lives. And take notice of that commandment there in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8, and verse, verse eight to verse 11. The, the fourth commandment, the Sabbath commandment, in a special way reveals the redemption that God wants for each of us to experience. The Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the Sabbath day, the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. We read about the Sabbath and that it was to be remembered. They were to remember their creator. God created the world in six days. He spoke everything into existence. And then on the seventh day, he set aside and sanctified and made it holy. It was a day in, uh, of memorial for the creator. It was a day in which, we are, in which we can lay aside the work as God laid aside his work and spend time with our creator. There's something special about the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day is also a picture of God's work on behalf of us. Think about it for a moment. Man was created not on the first day, not on the second day, but according to the creation account, man was created on the sixth day. And right after the creation of man, we have the seventh day or the Sabbath. Now, creation was, the creation of God was finished after the creation of man. As a matter of fact, you can read there in the book of Genesis, it says it is finished and it was very good. It was declared to be very good. Now, man could not add anything to creation. Think about it for a moment. If Adam, the first created being, wanted to add something to creation, he could not do that. Even if he, you know, formed something in the dust, he could not breathe into that, giving it life. He could not do that. Everything was finished, and also everything was declared very good, and man could not add anything to creation. Just as it is in creation, so it is also in redemption. It is fascinating to note that the Ten Commandments that are revealed here in Exodus chapter 20 are repeated also in another place um, of, of the writings of Moses, and that is the fifth book of Moses, the book of Deuteronomy. And I want you to go there for a moment to the book of Deuteronomy and chapter 5. 
Actually, the name, the title of the book, Deuteronomy, it means the law repeated. And in chapter 5, we again have the Ten Commandments there. And I want to read with you the, seventh, uh, the fourth commandment, the Sabbath commandment. And I want you to take notice that the Sabbath commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 5 is slightly differently worded as the Sabbath commandment in Exodus chapter 20. Now, the commandment is the same, and yet a different illustration is used why we should keep this commandment, why we should remember the Sabbath day, the seventh day Sabbath. Take notice of Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. And let's see if you can pick this up. Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. The Bible says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor, nor your cattle, nor any stranger who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. So far it's the same, but take notice of verse 15. It says, And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Now, the Sabbath commandment here, the fourth commandment of the Sabbath, is, is, is rooted and grounded in the very fact that Jesus, that God has redeemed his people out of Egypt, and I like the wording there, by an outstretched arm. When we think about the cross, Jesus stretched out his arm so that he would make an, a new way for us, a new exodus, so that we can come out of slavery and that we can serve him in the freedom and that we can serve him in the freedom that he has granted us. My friends, in, in, in Exodus chapter 20, the Sabbath commandment has its foundation in creation. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, the Sabbath commandment has its foundation, has its foundation in redemption. And when we look at creation and redemption, it's fascinating that in creation, as I mentioned earlier, everything was finished by God. Man was not created on the first day, not on the second day. On the sixth day, man was created as the crownship of creation. And then everything was finished and everything was very good and man could not add anything to creation. Now you take this picture and in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the Sabbath is highlighted by the illustration not of creation but of redemption now remember that when jesus hung on the cross the passover lamb was dying the last thing that jesus said on the cross was it is what finished it is finished just like creation was very good and finished and man could not add anything so redemption is finished and it's very good, perfect sacrifice without blemish. And we cannot add anything to that sacrifice. It's perfect. Our righteousness, the Bible says, is like filthy rags. We can't add anything to creation and we cannot add anything to redemption. It's the work of God alone. And God's work is the work that sets us free 
from the slavery of sin. It's that perfect sacrifice that we trust. It's that blood that we apply in our lives. Just like the Hebrews took the lamb on the 14th day of the first month. They slew the lamb. They took the blood. And what did they do with the blood? They put it on their doorposts. They, they, they applied it. They applied the blood and the protection of God was upon them. When we take the blood of Jesus symbolically, figuratively, and apply it in our lives, apply it in our homes, we will see the hand of God upon us. We will see the power of the Lamb working in us, and we will experience a new exodus. Now turn again back to the story here. There's a couple of more things that I want to bring out in this fascinating story of the Exodus. I want you to turn to chapter 25. Turn to Exodus chapter 25. The people of God come into the wilderness. They come to the Mount of Sinai. They receive the Ten, they receive the ten Commandments. They continue their journey in the wilderness. And God commands them to do something of great importance in chapter 25. The people of God are commanded to build God a sanctuary, to build him a sanctuary. Now, what was the purpose of the sanctuary? The sanctuary was like a tent structure that they had in the midst of their camp. And the sole purpose of the sanctuary was really that God wanted to dwell with his people. And the sanctuary revealed the way that they could come back into the presence of God. It's fascinating. In Exodus chapter 25, let's read it together um, from verse 1 here. Listen to the command that is given to build this incredibly important structure so that God could dwell in their very midst. And through the sanctuary, the way was revealed into the presence of God. We read in verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart you shall take my offering and this is the offering which you shall take from them gold silver bronze blue purple scarlet thread fine linen goat's hair ram skins dyed red badger skins acacia wood oil for the lights spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. They are commanded to bring an offering to the Lord, and of the material that they offer to the Lord, the sanctuary is going to be built, and the purpose of the sanctuary is that God will dwell in the very midst of his people. Now, there is a building project for the Hebrews to be involved in. And I want you to take notice of this before and after picture in the story of Exodus. Before they were set free and they were in Egypt, oppressed by the taskmasters, the Egyptians, they were also builders. We read about it earlier that they were building, they were making bricks for the Egyptians to build structures and to build their empire, which was, which was becoming larger and larger and larger. They, their value was determined by the amount of bricks they produced. And now they are set free. They have come out of Egypt and in the wilderness, they again start building. But the building project in the wilderness is so entirely different than the building project in Egypt. 
The, the difference, my friends, we, we, we already picked it up here in the text. It was to be a willing offering. In Egypt, they were enslaved. They had no choice but to produce bricks. In the wilderness, it was to be a willing offering. And it is so powerful. This is really a bright chapter in the history of Israel because the people were so willing because they were so grateful for what God had done. And I want you to take notice of, of how they brought in abundance um, so that the sanctuary could be built. If we go to chapter 35, we're in Exodus chapter 25. If you go a couple of chapters on in this story, we fast forward a little bit here into the story. Chapter 35 and look at verse 5. Chapter 35 and verse 5. Take from among you an offering to the Lord, whoever is of a willing heart. There it is again. It had to be a willing heart, a willing sacrifice. Let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine linen, goat's hair. It lists again all the things that they were bringing for the building of the sanctuary. Verse 10 says, All who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make all that the Lord has commanded. So not only were they to give of the materials that they possessed, but they also gave of their very talents, and the Lord added his blessing. He put his spirit in these men that were working as artisans and as designers to build this incredible, beautiful structure. Look at verse um, in, here in the same chapter, uh, verse 21, chapter 35 and verse 21, it said, Then everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing. And they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all its service and for the holy garments. If you go down to verse 29 in the same chapter, it says, The children of Israel brought a free will offering to the Lord. All the men and women whose, whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work, which the Lord, by the hand of Moses, had commanded to be done. You see, a willing sacrifice was made. Men and women were building together. The result of the compelling love of God was huge. If you go to chapter 36, the next chapter, I want you to take notice of what it says in verse 4 to 7. This is absolutely incredible. Chapter 36, verse 4 to verse 7, it says, Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing. And they spoke to Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing. For the material that they, that they had was sufficient for all the work to be done, indeed too much. Can you imagine? They brought so much. They were so willing. Now, when is the last time that this has been a problem in God's work? When has it been the last time that we just have too much? Can you imagine? We have too much. Don't send any more money to this ministry. We have enough workers. Don't come. We have plenty of literature. Don't print. Can you imagine? The problem was a welcomed problem. Here the people were so willing. They gave of the possessions they had. They gave of the time they had. They gave of the talents they had. And the work of God was completed because they understood that Christ, that God had set them free. And in thanksgiving, they were willing to sacrifice their time and talents and their strength to the service of God. 
What an incredible change. The before picture in Egypt, slaves to an empire that hated the things they loved, slaves to an empire that oppressed them and their value was determined by the amount of bricks they produced for this empire. Now they are set free and in the wilderness they willingly serve, they willingly build and there is just too much. And God uses them to build this beautiful, incredible structure of the sanctuary. And my friends, the sanctuary revealed the value that God places on man. The sanctuary revealed that man is precious in the eyes of God. The sanctuary revealed that the sacrifice of the lamb brings us into the presence of the most holy. There are so many teachings in the sanctuary that I would love to go into, but because of time, time would not allow. But you study the sanctuary message and you find that it is a revelation of the love of God. It is a revelation of a God that places value upon man. The value that is placed upon man is revealed in the sacrifice of the Lamb. It is revealed in the sacrifice of Christ. Christ gave his very life for man to be set free. Christ determines the value that you have and that I have. It's his own life. He gave his very life for each one of us. What was the result of this united front that the Israelites, uh, the, the Israelites came together, they united themselves, they built a sanctuary? What was ultimately the result of this work? If you could go to the end of the story of Exodus, turn to chapter 30, uh, turn to chapter 40, Exodus chapter 40. That's the very uh, last chapter in the book of Exodus. It's interesting, it has 40 chapters. And in the very last chapter and verse 33, as we come to the end of that chapter, listen to what it says. It says, and he raised up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar. This is the last, uh, the last building project before the tabernacle is complete. And it says, and they hung up the screen of the court gate. And then it says, so Moses finished the work. So Moses finished the work. Remember at creation, God spoke and it came into existence. And on the sixth day, he said, it is finished. And the Sabbath was given as a gift to man. At redemption, on that Friday afternoon, Jesus stretched out his arms and he died on that cross and he said, it is finished. And redemption was finished and it was very, very good. The perfect sacrifice was made. And in response to the creative work of God and in response to the redemptive act of Christ, his people are aroused to willingly give from their hearts everything. It's like Paul said, he says, I am indebted to Christ. He gives everything. The people laid out their possessions for the building of the sanctuary. They gave their time and their talents to the service of God. And in the end of the story of Exodus, the incredible story, the Bible says the work was finished. My friends, there is a work to be finished here on this earth and you and I can be involved in it, not because it's you that finishes it, but it's Christ that finishes it in you. He finished creation. He finished redemption. But there's a work for us to do. We as willing, our willing hearts can be given to his service and he will perform his works in us and bring this gospel to all the world so that his work can be finished. Take notice what it says right in the very end of the book of Exodus. As we look at verse 34, what happened when they finished the tabernacle? Verse 34 says, 
Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory of God is the character of God. The character of God is now right there in their midst, in the tabernacle. We want the character of God in our lives. We want the character of God to be put on display in us. And in order for that to happen, we must finish the work. The work has been finished by Jesus Christ. And that finished work can be manifest in us so that we can experience the story of Exodus, so that we can experience a new Exodus. God has invited us to experience a new Exodus. Maybe some of us find ourselves in Egypt. We think about our lives and we find ourselves striving and struggling and putting our time and effort and money into the things of this world, building up an empire that will not last. And we realize that we need to be set free. You need to turn to the Passover lamb. You need to turn to Jesus and surrender your life to him and ask him to work in you what you cannot do for yourself. And he will lead you out of that slavery. He will lead you out of that oppression of sin, that oppression of uh, an addiction or whatever it may be. And he will lead you in to that wilderness experience where you can give your service to him and where he will work in your life so that you may one day enter into the promised land when he comes, and he is coming soon. We have such a, 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 an incredible story in the Old Testament of the value that God places upon man, and it is a continual reminder of the value that God places upon us today. There's a Hebrew word in the Old Testament that describes the love of God. It's it lies at the very heart of the Hebrew thinking about God. It really creates a picture of God. It's the word hased, and it's mentioned many times in the Old Testament, a frequent used word to describe God. Now, there's not really an English equivalent that does this word full justice. It's in various Bible translations, we find the word hased rendered as the following, talking about the mercy of God, the unfailing love of God, the steadfast love of God, the faithful love of God. It's a word that really marriages two, it is like a marriage of two concepts, the compassion and mercy of God, but also his constancy, determination, and faithfulness to finish that which he has begun. And so if you think about that, God is merciful, he has compassion, but he's also determined and faithful to finish that which he has begun. And we see it in the story of Exodus and we can see it repeated in our lives. I want to go to a final um, text here together with you before we close, and that's Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. I think many of you are familiar with this text, and if not, I pray that this may really be a text that will speak to your hearts. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Listen to what the promise of God is to each one of us. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, it says, Being confident of this very thing, that he capital H, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. God has begun a good work in you. If you find yourself still in Egypt, 
The work that he's doing in you is he's calling you out of Egypt. If you find yourself in the wilderness, figuratively, spiritually speaking, the work that he's doing in you is creating in you a willing heart. If you have a willing heart, then God is working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. Wherever you are in this journey of Exodus, wherever you are in your Christian experience, God that has begun a good work in you has promised that when you are faithful to him, he will complete that work in you. Amen? It's the promise of God. It's the promise of God. God is in pursuit of man, and he always has been. You can find this story. It's a breathtaking story from Genesis to Revelation of the story how God pursues man. God doesn't give up on us. God pursues us, and he wants to bring us to the borders of the heavenly Canaan and into that land that he has prepared for us. We look at the words of Christ revealed in Scripture And we are looking at the love of God, the love of God that he was willing to send his son to die on behalf of us, to set us free. And many times we find ourselves like the Hebrews, we are unthankful. We do not recognize and realize what has been done on behalf of us. And it's only a revelation of the cross of Jesus Christ that can create in us a longing and a willingness to serve him despite of challenges and trials that will face us. It is only the love of God displayed on the cross of Calvary that will motivate in us and work in us that we are willing to give up whatever it may take to serve him and please him in life. It's only the cross of Jesus that will, uh, that will really make us the people that God wants us to be. And it's by looking at the cross of Calvary that our choices will become the choices of God. God will work in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. The story of Exodus is a brief history of God, a brief history of the value that God places upon man. He knew exactly what he was going to get when he gave his son for us. He knew exactly that many would turn away that many would not receive him, that many would not be saved despite of that great agony that his son went through on the cross of Calvary. But he also knew that there would be those that would turn to him, that there would be those that would surrender their lives to him and experience a new exodus. And you and I can be one of those. We can be part of that generation that will leave the things of this world behind and put our eyes on Christ and Christ alone. And it's my, it's my prayer that you will experience a new exodus and that you will experience the faithfulness and love of God in your life. How many of you want to experience that today by a raising of hands? You want to experience a new exodus. Praise the Lord. Let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord to do just that in our lives that we may experience his saving power. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being with us during this journey in Scripture. Thank you for the story of Exodus, which is really a story that is repeating itself in each of our lives. Lord, we find ourselves at different stages, Lord, and wherever that may be, I pray that we may keep our eyes on you so that you can lead us forward, that you can lead us not backward, but forward, so that you that has begun a good work in us may also complete it. We put our trust in you. We put our faith in you knowing that that which you have begun, you will complete. And thank you for the sacrifice of your son, which makes this possible. For in his name we pray, amen.
If this episode impacted you, please share it with others. Amazing Discoveries is a donor-supported ministry. To help us keep producing content like this, visit amazingdiscoveries.org. And, as always, you can find the visual presentation of this episode on ADTV.watch.